Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Today we have another exciting guest like we always have in this podcast. His name is Umba Kipuki, and he's running for office with the Libertarian Party. So welcome to the podcast, Umba. Thank you so much for having me. We're glad to have you. Let's get started by you kindly giving us an introduction to yourself, a brief biographical sketch. Yes, absolutely. So, again, so my name is Umba. I, I'm a native Congolese. Uh, my entire family uh, was born in the Congo. The Democratic Republic of Congo came to the U.S. Uh, as a political asylee um, and then moved Moved to Georgia, was raised in Georgia, um, and then found myself in California. Uh, mom's out of the family, also moved out here, so followed them shortly after. Um, and looked at the U.S. military from out of California. Uh, I did four years as a chemical bio, radiological, nuclear specialist. I did one tour in uh, South Korea, and I just uh, came out of active duty this past July. So. Um, yeah, so I've been, I've been blessed and fortunate to just kind of get a taste of the world, uh, just see different places and experience different things. And so, and it's kind of just the, kind of the theme of my campaign is really just, you know, affording that, just that liberty and choice and opportunity to the American people and the constituents I would be serving and, uh, and trying to go forth with policy that makes sense for them. Sounds good. It does sound like you have a lot of experience. Indeed. So kindly tell us how you got involved in the Libertarian Party in the first place. Right. So I've always considered myself a pretty moderate individual. Uh, I really try to find, you know, principled, you know, objectivity when it comes to just rational policy. Um, So I actually voted for Barack Obama, President Obama, twice. Uh, Oh. The first time. I did a will, uh, no willingly, I mean, it was a historical, a historical campaign, you know, sure. candidate, but his message resonated with me. I think it resonated with a lot of people. Um, his second term, I voted for him reluctantly. Um, it was a very last minute vote. Uh, and so I went out there, um, and I voted. And, and then about the, two, around 2015, um, I, re- I registered as a Republican. Um, just again, you know, just the way the country was going, <clears throat> where the country was going, and the the message of President Trump really resonated with me as well. Um, huh. Just the policy, you know. Um, I consider myself fiscally conservative in the sense of how the country spends their money, and the reason why is because it's always the taxpayer at the end of the day who's going to have to foot the bill. And so, you know, anytime we have you know, a lot of funding going out to different places for different things and projects, sometimes, you know, um, under the table, and then the American people still put in the bill for it. So I so I agree with a lot of uh, President Trump's messaging around, you know, reducing spending, reducing the bureaucracy, X, Y, and Z. Um, after the Trump presidency, um, I, again, you know, did some reevaluating, um, mainly in part because while the policy – some of, some of his policy resonated with me. Um, the, the culture 
of the politics itself uh, was just not something I could really get behind and sell. Um, it just wasn't conducive to a platform that I want for myself um, in governing. So with the Libertarian Party, I've actually had a few things with them. Um, I've reached out to them uh, before the military, during the military. Um, I just never really actually made the official move. And so when I was thinking about the policy I wanted and I was thinking about the Libertarian platform, I, it made more sense for me um, with their platform um, to go ahead and, and, and get behind because they leave enough room to grow politically. I think that when you have either Democrats, you see the very concrete black or white, this is, this is how it's going to be with the Republicans. It's, this is how it's going to be. For me, libertarian platform leaves, it, it's broad enough and it leaves enough room and wiggle room for, for debate and conversation. And that's what resonates with me the most now. Sounds good. So kindly tell our audience what race you're running for. So I'm running for uh, Congressional District 6 out of California for uh, the U.S. House of Representatives. Can you tell us what that district is like, what where it represents, and what the demographics are? Absolutely. So District 6 is a uh, – it was actually just uh, redrawn – so uh, Ami Barra initially ran for uh, – I say his name, Congressman Barra. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I say his name because he is the uh, KD incumbent for, for the district. But so Ami, uh, Ami Barra, he is – he was running District 7, and District 6 was, uh, was uh, occupied or represented, if you will, by uh, Congressman uh, Doris Matsui. So they did a change, uh, and so now – uh, Congressman Barra represents the district. So it, it is, so it is pretty much, uh, I consider a pocket, pocket area of Cal, of, uh, Sacramento. It's, uh, it represents, so a big hub, hub is West Sacramento, so the Natomas area, um, and then you have, and then, uh, the southern eastern region is more so, you have the, uh, kind of like the outgrowth area there, and then, you have the North Highlands in the Northeast area. Um, so it's actually pretty diverse demographic. Um, it's, uh, it's rich with minorities, uh, which I like. I think that they are well, still well underrepresented, albeit that Sacramento has done a great job with affording various resources for various demographics um, up and down, up and down the city lines and county lines. But I think there's a lot of room for improvement, especially when it comes to like the public school system and the transit system. Um, things of that nature, uh, parks, the homeless, uh, homeless situation, which I consider a crisis in Sacramento. Uh, but so it definitely covers a lot, of, a lot of ground. It's not as suburban, if you will, as the, uh, at least a big chunk of it is not as suburban as what District, uh, I'm sorry, District 7 is, which is, again, pretty, uh, I, I believe socio, more socioeconomically, uh, advantaged than District 6 would be. So, so I look forward to really getting out there and uh, campaigning against meet these folks up and down uh, the various, again, socioeconomic advantages and disadvantages and, and working on that platform with them. Sounds like a plan. So kindly tell our audience what your platform for this race entails. So my platform, I'm trying to 
my platform, again, the theme is affording more choice and opportunity. That's really what it boils down to for me. How can I afford my constituents the most choice to gain them the most opportunity um, within the confines of sensibility and safety? You know, when I think about policy, I think I ask myself, you know, a couple of things. Again, trying to minimize the tribalistic behavior or nature, if you will, of just a polarized society today. You know, whether it be around, you know, women's right to choose or, uh, you know, uh, freedom of marriage. You know, when I think about these social issues that have really impacted our society, you know, I always ask myself, you know, especially, you know, I'm a, I'm a national security guy, right? I'm a, you know, you'll notice on my platform that a lot of these, a lot of the platforms is built around, you know, some sort of safety theme or some sort of national security, you know, contingency. Uh, that's why national security is my first bullet point, you know, uh, on my website. But so when I think about social issues, I ask myself, one, does this person's choice or how they exercise this choice, does it jeopardize safety and security for themselves or for the general public? You know, and is it an imminent threat to any of those things? And if, if the answer is no, then I don't think it is business of the government to try to subject themselves or inject themselves within that process of that person's choice. So, um, so I, I really try to rationalize against sensible policy that is important that that is important to my constituents. You know, but that can also move people forward and not limit them and bind them to some sort of social, you know, bureaucracy because other people or their tribalistic factions deem it as acceptable. So, yeah, um, so everything from, you know, national security, you know, expanding education, you know, nonprofit pharmaceutical exemptions, um, immigration reform, human trafficking, foreign affairs, veteran affairs, and the environment. But I also do not want to go down, you know, or go through this revolving door with most politicians. They'll tell you, you know, we need to, you know, reform our immigration. And they've been saying this for decades. And then you ask them, they say, oh, yeah, you know, we, we really need border security. Well, what, well, what does that look like, Congressman? You know, all my points on my platform, you know, I give you how I intend to get it done. We need fixes. We don't need, you know, soliloquies. We don't need cliches. Yeah, we need more jobs. I don't even talk about jobs on my platform. I don't talk about, um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really not touching jobs or, uh, or like healthcare, very big complex issues, because there are 435 members of Congress, okay, and 535 you had to send it, right? And so with that, I understand that these have been talking points, you know, again, for decades. I need something that if I go into Congress, when I'm elected, what can I fix? What can I make? What can I gain the most traction with for my constituents in the least amount of time? And so that's why I go through these bullet points. So when I talk about immigration, for example, I say yes, of course we need border security, but of course we have to be empathetic to people with legitimate asylum cases. So how do we sure. get this done? I give you the example of the Merida Initiative, okay, which was expanded to, Mexico, uh, to the Mexican government to give them resources, you know, uh, for their law enforcement apparatus and capacity, you know with technology and training so they can help fight their local issues. And I'd say now we should expand it to more Latin American countries like El Salvador um, uh, and uh, a lot of these, you know, 
just uh, some American regions uh, and countries that have that have been where they have the most exodus of people coming from their you know coming from their countries and making the trek up to the, the border. So if we can expand this initiative to those countries as well and really help localize their their um, response contingencies that really help their people on a national security level, then I think that it helps both sides of the border. Sounds good. So you would say that you're more specific on your platform than other people who are giving forth nothing but platitudes. Absolutely. You have to be specific. Excellent. We need more of that. So kindly tell our audience what your campaign strategy is. How do you plan to reach the voters in your district? Well, it, you know, unfortunately, the game is all about money. Um, and, you know, the more, the more money you have, at least theoretically, the more money you have, um, the more reach and the more influence. I don't like that. Um, I, I think that I'd rather see, you know, public campaign funding. I'd rather see, you know, a repeal of uh, Citizens United because I, it, it, it's, you have a lot of dark money that can make its way into the political, into the political, uh, and political races and campaigns. Um, I think it really disadvantages, uh, you know, not only new candidates but even third parties. Um, for instance, California has a uh, a top two voter system. They've been using this system for about a decade now, um, otherwise known as a jungle primary, right? And so basically. For those who don't know what it is, um, no longer is there going to be a primary for individual parties, right? So now everyone runs within the same primary, whether it be, you know, Democrat, Republican, Green Party, Libertarian, X, Y, and Z. The top two voters make it to the general election. So you could have two Democrats, two Republicans, two Libertarians. It's just the top two. So in theory, you could argue that it, you know, it makes sense because it's, it kind of evens it out. I would almost equate it to like uh, ranked choice voting, uh, ranked choice voting, uh, voting uh, limited edition, if you will. But huh. so in theory, it it should work, and it should be an advantage to to people. So you know, you, you don't have such, you know, just the uh, ridiculous, expensive, you know, party primaries, and you know, you start to marginalize people. But unfortunately, with this system, it still greatly disadvantages um, third parties because for the past 10 years, it's always been Democrat and Republican, you know, that advance up. You know, now granted, albeit um, a libertarian did not run uh, for Congress the last election cycle. Um, I've noticed that they typically run for lower races, you know, local races. Um, so... My strategy for campaigning is, as you can, as you'll notice, as, you know, we're doing this well early. You know, we just started 2023. You know, some folks, you know, who who do start with a lot of money, you know, in their war chest, they'll start what maybe 2024. I mean, they'll announce early, but they won't start campaigning until you know 2024. You know, a few months before the primary. We have to get a jump start early, and that's because number one, um, not many people you know, are going to know who I am. And so I have to get out there, mobilize, um, and just meet people. You just really just got to be on the ground and, and meet folks. 
I really believe in, a gra- in the power of grassroots operations. I believe that when you localize your strategy, um, you empower the people around you to help elevate your platform. I really do believe that. And so uh, we're going to have to go out there and meet people. But we're going to have to raise money. It's just what it's going to come down to. We're going to have to raise money. The um, Libertarian Convention will be next month in, in Sacramento. So Justin Amash, uh, I hear Congressman Amash is going to be there. Um, but presidential nominee, uh, White Cohen is going to be there. Um, so, and I spoke to the chair, the chairwoman of the Libertarian Party, um, about a week ago, and she definitely suggested I go there and, and network. So, but that's what's going to come down to, you know, and I, that's going to be my gauge for me. That's the kind of the gauge for the, for the campaign, you know, how much traction can we make? How, what kind of relationships can we foster, you know, starting at that convention? And what, and what's the, how realistic can we raise the money that we're going to need to to even get in the game, right? And so um, that's strategy number one, raising money, networking. Strategy number two is, and, and to me it's a very important piece, is the alliances that we make, right? So who can I get to support us from both, from, from, from both major parties, whether it be Democrats or Republicans? The reason why I say there's an incentive for them to do so is because, as you know, um, when elected, I would have to caucus with a party, right? I would have to, you know, um, for instance, Justin Amash, Congressman Amash, he caucuses with the Republican Party, right? And so um, Bernie Sanders, he caucuses with the, Democrat, with the Democrats, right? Kristen Sinema just, you know, changed her party affiliation to independent, but she is going to continue to caucus with the Democrats. So essentially... Someone will still get have theoretically could still get to get an extra seat, right? In their within yeah. their within, within their caucus, and so there is an incentive. So I would hope that there are folks, you know, on both sides of the aisle that would say, "Hey, you know what? His platform is moderate. His, his platform leaves room for debate and discussion, and we can we could use this moderate voice within our caucus." And whomever is willing to make that that concession, I think, will also help this this uh, not the fundraising efforts, but also the just uh, getting getting our platform known out there. Sure, sounds like good strategies. So kindly tell our audience how they can support your campaign. Absolutely. So we do have a website currently up. It's uh, kapuke24.com. Um, and that's just the best way to start. Um, you know, you, you have an opportunity to contribute, um, campaign donations and, uh, and, but, and, and I tell folks, you know, just keep looking out, you know, on the, on the webpage because there, there'll be events posted soon. Um, I'm trying to do at least one meet and greet or, uh, even a town hall, if you will, um, at least once a month at the very sure. least. You know, as we get closer to 24, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll add more to it. But I definitely, again, just want to be able to just meet folks, you know, maybe have some coffee and talk to people and just really share and be transparent about my platform. So you can go to the website for now, you know, and as this thing moves forward, uh, as we get more funding, you know, then we'll we'll go, you know, full social media heavy. So that's a good place to start. All right. Sounds good. So we thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking about your campaign. No, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. 
We wish you all the best in your campaign and all your other personal and professional endeavors. Thank you. All right. Take care and all the best.